gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space i'm your regular host scott weatherly and as always i'm joined by my western partner my deputy my marshal uh julian darius how are you doing you okay uh i'm doing all right uh i would like to point out that i'm a growing boy i'm a growing boy (laughs) i was gonna try and bring in some western uh quotes to this and i really couldn't think of like how to bring this in uh without sounding weird so i'm glad you've done that that's that's uh it's rounded out brilliantly um we are going to be around we're going to kicking off something today uh in the last episode we discussed westworld the 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 1970s movie the michael Crichton movie and now we're going to try and do uh season one season two season three over three episodes so this episode we're going to be discussing season one uh the HBO series Westworld, uh, released in 2016, starring, and this is quite a cast, like, this is a mm. seriously good cast, <clears throat> Evan Rachel Wood, Jeffrey Wright, Ed Harris, Thandy uh, Newton, Tessa Thompson, James Marsden, Anthony Hopkins, and Jimmy Simpson as your main sort of cast, and then a bunch of other people that sort of like, you know, come and go throughout it. Um, ten episodes, ten hours, we're still going to stick to two hours uh, on our sort of um, uh, clock. But, uh, yeah, a very different take on what Michael Crichton was sort of aiming for. Um, so, Julian, let's kick in. Sort of 10 episodes. What were your initial thoughts then on, on this as a TV series? Yeah, um, I was so super excited that they were doing this. Mm. Um, I am a huge fan of the movie and the fact that it was Jonathan Nolan. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Chris Nolan. Um, and it brought you know i mean it's hbo so it's like 10 million dollars an episode or something yeah. Yeah. and and getting that and also getting that aesthetic getting that that modern sensibility of um having the time of a prestige format uh cable tv series to really spend with these characters and also apply a modern approach to sort of focusing on the robots and whereas the original just sort of focuses on the spectacle and the the disaster movie element and the humans, um, you know, all of that was just right up my alley. And and I will say this show has kind of I mean, I've got a ton of criticisms of season one. We'll get to them. But this show has really ruined me in a lot of ways for prestige format shows. Um, my. Westworld, uh, the first episode, is so good. Mm. It is It is just, you know, a- absolutely an A. Uh, it's not perfect, but it's damn near close. Um, and it is just so good that it has really ruined me for <laughs> first episodes of other shows. Like, I watched uh, Watchmen, and I was just like, look, all I wanted was Westworld with 
Watchmen characters. You know, just give me that. And that first episode was so disappointing. And it's and it's because Westworld has just set that bar for me. Um, mm-hmm. Where so I mean I'm just I'm in love with that first episode. Every time I hear, I hate when people say like. Well, it's just the pilot of the show. All pilots suck. It'll get better. No, absolutely yeah. not. The pilot shows what you can do. Some shows grow into themselves, but, you know, I, I just think this first episode is a titanic accomplishment. Um, and I come back to the show in my mind a lot. So what about you? Yeah, because it was obviously HBO. We didn't get direct access to it. So, you know, and I didn't have Sky Atlantic. So um, I... I bought this on DVD originally uh, when it when it came out and stuff, um, but it, it's one of those shows I remember sort of seeing a lot about it, but not wanting to know about it. I remember someone tried to explain the mystery to me. who have been watching it, and I'm like, "Shut up!" Like, you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> the, clearly, the point of this show is to watch it to learn the mystery and to go through it. Um, and so I sort of kept myself at bay a little bit until I watched it, knowing that I'd, I wanted. I'd seen some of the images from it, so I knew that the the hosts. You know the 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 robots, whatever you want to call them, but the hosts in the show were no longer, um, you know, the the Yul Brynner kind of robot, or at least for the most part, weren't going to be the Yul Brynner kind of robot bits and pieces. So this this idea of like biomechanics and all this other stuff made it really interesting, might be really interesting to me. So I was really sold on this, and then so watching it again, as you said, that first episode is. It's what I call a click-through episode. Like I, I, they don't always—they're not always the first episode. But you have an episode where you get to the end and you go like, "It's midnight. Don't care. I've got to watch the next episode." Like, you know, <laughs> it's that good, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I can't stop." Um, and it, it is that first episode. You get to the end, and I'm like, "Like you know, th- this is ten hours of there's ten hours of entertainment here, and d- does it need ten hours? Mm, you know, probably not." But that first hour needs an hour, and you know it, t- it uses its time really well. Um, and so, yeah, it's really impressive start. It's a, it's a really strong start. Um, it's one of those weird ones that both introduces you to everything, sets you up so you understand what's going on. Uh, but then by the end of the episode, I'm still incredibly confused, <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. But yeah, yeah, it definitely it definitely does uh, dangle plot threads. Um, but I do, I do also like that the first episode is very separate from the rest of the show. Mm. So, you know, the first episode starts with, you know, you have the James Marsden character come in and you have the twist that you assume he's a guest. And in fact, he's a host and you're already introduced to this idea of like the host lives are hell, you know, (laughs) like they just, you know, where Ed Harris says, I mean, I forgot how quickly you get to that twist. And it's almost like a, you know, 15 minute short film. That's really brilliant. Mm. Um, where you get to the end and, and Ed Harris is just like, yeah, you know, you to be, to feel like a winner, there's gotta be losers. And you guys have played this and lost your love and had it end tragically. Uh, and he strongly implies like part of your point here is to watch your beloved get raped by guests yeah like oh my god <laughs> you know like yeah. and you've probably gone through this like a thousand times this unspeakable tragedy um is devastating and then it's like that's our little beginning you know prologue <laughs> you know and you're like and, and 
to have an episode like obviously it's the second episode that introduces uh, spoilers what you wind out mm. wound out being the flashback narrative but um but this first one is very it's very self-contained it doesn't answer everything um but i also just want to say how amazing it is that like the final image is somebody swatting a fly and it's devastating like this mm. daily stupid thing and it's devastating well, is that is it's one of the the it comes back again and again, and and because one of the things I love about um, this whole show is this idea of repetition, mm-hmm. just the grind. Because like, episodes start in a similar way, <clears throat> you know, and this thing of the fly as well. Like you have later episodes that start with Dolores sat in that chair, and again, you know, several episodes sort of starting this way with her having these conversations with with Arnold. You know. Spoiler, we'll get to that in a bit, but then the, the the whole thing of like the fly crawling across her eyeball and so other things, oh, and um, which you know I'm hoping is CG. Otherwise, fuck, that's an incredible, <laughs> really impressive piece of acting. Um, but I'm yeah, that sure mo- it's CG. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that moment at this, the end of the episode when you've seen the repetition over and over again, and her going through that thing of like you know morning, daddy, and going off and doing the painting or going to town and all this other stuff. Like her role is to be um, and we'll get to the casting and why I find it really interesting, why she and, and James Marsden have been cast in those two roles. <clears throat> um, but then, like you say, this whole thing of like, oh, you can't hurt the guests. You're going to hit this repetition. So yeah, that moment of her swatting the fly. And again, it comes back to this thing of like, oh, yeah, yeah they don't, they, you know, they can't hurt a fly or you won't hurt a fly. Um, it, it just tells you everything you need to go. You need to know. But it doesn't tell you everything you need to know, if you know what I mean. Like it's like, oh, the things shits are gonna get real, but you <laughs> don't know how in any way. Like I automatically assume the first time I watched this, I thought this was gonna be the same as the film. Mm. I and that, and that first at the end of that first episode told me that that was me interpreted and put in there. Oh, the hosts are gonna go nuts, and it's gonna be you know this thing of like you know. Um, then how? Because there's no there's no differentiate. How do you then differentiate a host from a guest? Or how do you survive? Is that going to be the show? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Takes in a very different way. So yeah, that, that that first episode is fantastic. Ed Harris. I want to get into Ed Harris in a minute, but um... well, I I think there are a few other uh, great moments that you talking bring to mind. I mean, one is in that reveal, like 15 minutes in, where. Ed Harris is being shot by James Marsden and, and Ed Harris just says, you know, I'll let you have the first shot. And it comes off as like the first time you see it, it comes off as like, this is the cocky, you know, character. And, and you think, does he not know that James Marsden is a guest? Like clearly, you know, and then the whole, not only do you get the twist, but then you get the sort of like existential uh, horror of firing on this person and the bullets do no damage yeah. uh, at night at this farmhouse. And it's so creepy. And you could just, you really feel for James Marsden. You really feel like, oh my, I'm confronting like, you know, a, a demon. Like this mm. guy is just a demon and he cannot be killed. And and I cannot protect this woman that I love. Um, and you really feel for these characters. The other thing is like, there are so many just evocative, brilliant lines, you know, I mean, starting with Dolores and sort of Dolores sort of bring yourself online and the haunting of the haunting nature of her father being replaced, 
her father mm. going crazy looking at a photo and you're like where did this photo come from you just assume some some guest dropped it um it's a little convenient that you find out it's from like 30 years ago and that, it gets migrated that, across the entire park yeah that bothers me Mm-hmm. That that's a, that's a fault. I would say that is a real criticism because that could be any photo. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be that photo. So I do find that they think that, that sounds like they think they've been a bit smarter than they are. Like that's you know yes. I, would, I would have pulled that back. Um, and, yeah, but, but I think that, I think that's part of the pro- like to get into you know that is the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Is that this show is too much in love with twists. And yeah. it's too much in love with like, aha, gotcha, you know, like that photo is that photo. Oh, you realize it. Mm. Yeah, except that photo has legs because it moved across the entire park and yeah. was conveniently found 30 years later. While also, um, you know, this whole consciousness program was being done. It's pretty coincidental. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. I've got photos sat in our attic that haven't survived as well as that photo that's been out in a in the desert for 30 years so yeah but um, it's haunting to see the same lines almost with the the father replaced and that she doesn't <laughs> know and you think am i in one of these realities like oh, it gave what? me this program gave me some like the the, the mo- what really bothered me as from an ex- ex- existential point of view was was the not so much the re- the replacement of the father because that that's that is creepy when you've got this completely different guy. But when he has his breakdown as well, and you can see that his programming can't process this thing, because and she's like, "What do they say? Oh, it doesn't look like anything to me." Mm-hmm. If they don't, if they if if they can't process it, but he's obviously reached a level of sentience where it starts to bother him. Um, but for for me, the thing that especially at the moment during lockdown was Evan Rachel Wood's character Dolores getting up in the morning, going downstairs, good morning, Daddy, going off into town, dropping the can, meeting, you know, Teddy and all this stuff. And all I kept thinking is I get up in the morning, I take the dog for a walk, I come back, I make a coffee, I get started, I get started at work. And I'm just like, yeah, no, no, it's not. It, you know, you go, oh, they're just a host. And all I could think was like, no, no, no. This is life, like at the, especially during lockdown. Like that mm. repetition, that's life. Like you know, so that's where I started. It really sort of bothered me for about a day or two <laughs> watching this. Well, I'm very, I'm very sympathetic to simulation theory, <clears throat> you know, um, <clears throat> and, and has been for uh, you know 25 years or so. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily true, but I don't think it's necessarily not. Um, it, it certainly makes as much sense as anything, and I see evidence for it all around mm. me. Um, but that that sense of loops of repetition, you know, one of the things that that I found uh, challenging is that the older I get, like you know, when I was a younger man, no day was the same. Mm. And you know, I would go out and I would just meet some stranger, and by the end of the night, I'm like partying at their house. I'm meeting all these different people. I'm yep. I'm drunk. I'm trying new drugs. You know, I'm you know coming up with some idea for a novel series that I didn't have mm. the day before, and I'm probably never going to do. Um, and I had no idea where the day would take me. Now, you know, I wake up there. You know, I find life, but I find life very fulfilling. I'm more happy now than I ever have been. Mm. And now I'm on antidepressants, but I'm also able to have more of a daily routine. 
And there's that devastating line of like uh, where some of the techs are saying like, oh, they're happy in their loops. Like, mm. just let them forget that. And I'm like, oh, shit. You know, like, I'm, that I'm was happy the moment, in my loop. Yeah. That, was, that was one of the moments that got me. And I'm like, yeah, am I happy in my loop? Is that what this is? Like, yeah. So th this film did bother, not bother me, but it got to me in ways I wasn't expecting, I think is, is the way to sort of put it. But um, <clears throat> yeah, no, I mean, it, you know, this whole thing, and we'll get to, when we get to the end, we'll get to the end about where, you know, Maeve and Dolores and, and you know wh whether or not they actually do achieve sentience and all this other stuff um it, it, you know we'll, we'll we'll get to that and it's being in their loops but um one of the things I, I did like about this first episode and I like about the whole show is it whilst I thought this was going to be a take on the original story you know that sort of like it goes it, you know it's jurassic park but with cowboys it's going to go poor and then they're going to work through it and there's going to be some you know whatever <clears throat> one of the first things is he said they introduced ed harris as the man in black and like you say they've they've completely flipped this narrative of like oh no the human is the relentless killing machine who's going to go <laughs> around the park happily killing people you know dressed in black and he looks cool and it does it harkens back to like the terminator and your brinner and all this other stuff um but like you say the the hosts are constantly made the victims even the bad ones like there was some you know because they're really programmed to be bad um and so you know you meet these sort of characters and you're like yeah but you are nothing more than what you are made to do and so like you know it's it's sort of like there's even a sympathy for these other characters so it was really interesting to me um, you know, as I travel through this show, I mean, it's well structured because you know, that's clearly the purpose and clearly how it's supposed to be. But yeah, it worked on me. I felt sorry for like, you know, even um, there's the outlaw that Maeve, you know, uses for them to escape at the end. And that's there's the bandit. Time. Yeah. And the, and the bandit that the, that the um, Lawrence, that the man in black sort of, you know, William sort of like uh, partners with and stuff for a side. Like, I love all those characters. Um, and, uh, you know, especially sort of when the man in black sort of meets him for the first time and you realize how relentless and how much of a bastard he is, but he knows how the, to play the park when they've, they've got like a story and they're like, we've got to break into this prison to get this thing, to get this guy out. It's going to take us three days. And he's like, I need a match and half an hour because <laughs> <laughs> he knows he can't be killed. So it's sort of you know, that. Yeah. I think that for me, you know, I like exactly what you're saying, that I am made to identify with the host. Um, you know, and I think we're also, especially, you know, getting past that first episode, uh, you know, when you do see uh, the um, two brothers-in-law, you know, sort of coming in, and their two approaches to the park. I mean, that's such a classic kind of dichotomy. You know the bloom's going to come off the rose, and he's going to get used to this. And I, I do love that narrative. I love the sort of like, yeah, that quiet guy is the guy who goes crazy, you know. Um, well, that but... to me, again, felt like that to me was the nod to the original film. You know, the guy who's been before, who's sort yeah. of like James Brolin, who's, who's coming in and who's like, oh, man, you wait, you can sleep with anyone, you can kill anything you want, you can do all this. And the other guy's a bit like, oh, you know, I'm not so sure. Are you sure? Um, and it, <laughs> yeah. And again, like, you know, you know, it's going to go a certain way. Um, mm. But I like that. But w what you were saying about, like, you know, the, the Ed Harris character, there is a point kind of in the middle. And I do think 
you know, like the, with the third season, they made it eight episodes instead of ten. Um, and I, think I haven't seen that, but I think it's wise to do that mm. because both of these seasons feel feel padded, um, or like at least that they could have done it shorter. There is a period in the middle, especially with like that Ed Harris, like I can do it with a with a you know mm. with a match, where I sort of feel like. I love video games. I'm I'm a gamer uh, in a way that you're not. But I hate and I love video I love video games as art. Mm. Uh, I believe that they can be I believe that they they can be a narrative art form um the same way I believed in comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but games aren't quite there still. And and I hate when people pretend that they are and and I felt so for me, every time that I feel about a movie or a series that I'm like, it's video gamey. What that means to me is there's been a failure of the writing where mm. too often it feels like, um, like, OK, here's the challenge. Like, you know, we you can tell how it's a video game. Right. You know, we've reached that point And, the, you know, like every GTA. Right. Like. You, you meet somebody and they're like, hey, I've got this problem with the mob that's, that's yeah. you know, I owe money to. Care to help me out? And the main character is like, sure, I'll get involved in your mess and go find the mob. <laughs> you know, where it's just like another challenge where, like, to get the key, you got to, you know, go save the guy from jail. And there's a lot of that that just feels, while it makes for some cool sequences, that they could have compressed that um, true, and made true. it feel more meaningful. But it feels to me like that's the nature of the park. Like, you know, they talk about throughout this, they talk about the different narratives. Um, and they talk about there's, you know, there's lots of these different narratives going on all at different times. So you can get, so you, we don't see many of them. We see like two or three throughout. And the reveal at the end is that you actually, you've been seeing a bigger one than you realize. Um, but you, you see these narratives, and there's obviously loads going on. And some of them must be more computer gamey than others. You know, there's ones where you go like, Oh, this and this narrative is we've got to go off and find so and so. This outlaw, you know, he can be found in the Red Hills this evening. So we're going to go out and tonight. So it's only like a one day narrative, and then you mm-hmm. get might get others that last a couple of days, or you know, they can sort of develop. So I can imagine that there are ones like that though, where they're like, "Here, you want to get to this point, but to get there, you've got to go through A, B, C, and D, and it's going to be like a four or five day narrative because that's what you want, you know." You so. Mm-hmm. I almost feel if you were to, if this park was to exist and they were to do these narratives, you can bet your ass they'd be game, uh, they'd be computer gamey, because that would be the equivalence of what we'd be seeing. I think because you, if you've got to control that narrative, you couldn't have a film narrative. <clears throat> you've got to try and control where the guests go. You know, I always love that in uh, in like third person shooters. That's you know, I go back to like PS2, a little bit PS3, but those third person shooters, I always think of like um, Hitman. Mm-hmm. or like Max Payne was one of the games I loved and you'd yeah. go into a place and you'd be like right these two doors open this one doesn't that means I've got to go through one of these two doors you know so they, they would control the direction of travel you might think you're making decisions but you're not really you know you're actually being directed and I can imagine that all these narratives that they've done in this park are exactly this you know you think you're doing this and you think you're doing that but really as a, yeah. a guest, you're being you're being directed into these uh, these situations. I love this idea of narratives. I mean, I love <laughs> the 
the when when the brothers-in-law come in and the experienced brother says, no, 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 don't get involved with that guy. That's going to be a crappy, stupid narrative. You're just going to go in the hills and hunt yeah. Eschaton, you know, like that's dumb. You know, they're going to pull you into this shit. Don't listen to it. I love that stuff. And I love also the um, where the writer has come up with a, a big new speech, you know, yeah. and one of the guests just caps the, the bank robbery and interrupts the, the normal flow of that bank robbery um, where you see like, oh, OK, the narrative can adjust. Right. Mm. It's not like a video game or it's like binary options or something. And you're watching a movie sequence in between. But the narrative can adjust to that. Mm. Um, but, you know, there is, I mean, something that I've thought a lot about in, is what you're talking about, about like steering and playing video games. I love, uh, I mean, one of the reasons why I love GTA is I love the open world idea that you can just go anywhere and you're going to stumble into different things. But, and one reason why I hate like, um, you know, I, I like first person shooters, but I don't like Halo or Call of Duty as much mm. as it's like, I'm, I want to like storm Normandy beach, right? Yeah. Let me storm Normandy beach in an open world thing. I don't want to be like fighting in the Nazis. And it's like, I've gone into a house. Sorry, there's no exit here. You really are going to go down one street. You know, yeah. that's a little too artificial for me. And so where it feels, I mean, the art of video games and the art of, of making those games is to let those players feel as if it is their mm -hmm. choice. Like, I'm going to go in that door. Maybe you can go in that other door and it doesn't really lead anywhere, but, or it leads back. Uh, you know, there are ways of making it feel more organic. And I think the moments that I object to, I think you're right, it's realistic, but the moments where I object to it as a viewer are where I'm like, oh, uh, you know, Okay, I guess that's what I'm going to see for this episode is the man mm. in black's going to, you know, go through obstacle four. Yeah, no, I see what you're seeing. I, I definitely agree that it could have been compacted uh, or contracted into sort of, a, a, you know, less time. Um, I like, though, that it actually sort of, because he's going through this idea looking for the maze or the center of the maze. <clears throat> and I, I, I kind of like the fact, though, that what I by the end of the, the show or by the end of the season, what I'm taking from it is that um, he's gone through all these these events, these narratives, and he's been just as manipulated as everybody else, just as controlled. Um, and so, like you know, he's gone through this narrative and he's done all these bits and pieces, and he sort of go forward as Anthony Hopkins is at the top. Like you sort of realize that some of these guests are just as controlled as the hosts, and mm -hmm. he's he's sat at the top of this, and you know. Um, and that was what was interesting to me, to so watch his back and to think back. It's when I look back and ref reflect on his episodes, and I'm like, yeah, all that, the artificiality of it all, that he's trying to be really flippant about, um, is all there, and he thinks he's being flippant, but it's all there to sort of lay things in his mind. It's there to, to direct. So the hosts, are, also the guests are just as controlled and just as manipulated and just as almost artificial, this fake reality as what do they call it? like an ARG actual reality game or something like is just all manipulated as you know you just don't think it is you know you think mm -hmm. you're there to have fun and do stuff and it's sort of <clears throat> it's weird that the more you get involved the more you invest in this world the more controlled you become by these narratives and by the actual world so I, thought, I thought that was really interesting 
Yeah, it's like uh, I, I love that point. Like the the guests have loops too, right? I mean, yeah. when you and certainly more or less depending on the narrative. Um, you know, if you're going to hunt Eschaton in the in the hills, you know, you're pretty much on a loop yourself, you know. Yeah. Um, and there are different outcomes, but it's like branching paths, right? Um, but then, you know, what I like, you know, th there are times where I wonder how this narrative works. <coughs> you know, I love the idea, but I'm not, there are times where it breaks down for me where I'm not fully convinced that these different narratives could all sort of change and flux mm. and reset. Um, certainly in the sort of flashback narrative, they've taken Dolores like to the edge of the park, right? Like yeah. she's no, yeah, like what, you know, what's obviously, you know, there's also the question of like, how long are these different loops? Mm. So in the beginning, in the first episode, you sort of go through multiple loops. Um, but there is this question of like, well, if you stay in the park long enough, you just see that these robots like repeat the same shit. And, but now you think like, oh, it's been like weeks or maybe a couple months mm. that like Dolores hasn't been there to be in any of those loops. She's not really that important. I mean, maybe they brought the, the father back to life or whatever. <coughs> I mean, I guess no narrative is going to be interrupted by her not going to town and dropping a can, you know, mm. but there are times where you could just, you could take Eschaton and kidnap him and take him to the edge of the park. And it's like, how are all the other narratives, you know, well, I, reset? I, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't, if you're good at, you must have backups and other things that you've got to, you know, that must be able to happen. Um, and especially the more critical the character, Eschaton is a good example. The more critical they are to a story or to a, a climax, you know, to a big event, then yeah, the more important. I mean, the other thing you say about you know, if you could go uh, that, you know, when you get <clears throat> William and uh, his brother-in-law going hunting in, in the in the hills, and there's one, you know, they go and the guy, the brother-in-law is going like, um, it's boring. This is crap. We're just sat in the truck. We're just sat here doing nothing. Like he could, you know, they're what they're with one guy, aren't they? Like a marshal or a bounty hunter or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like. He could be like, this is crap. You could just get up and shoot that guy in the face and be like, right, I'm going back to town. Yeah. That's me done. I'm bored of this. Bang. Right, I'm off. And he constantly threatens to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like never, that. Like, it never does. You know. mm. Yeah, um, but, you know, I mean, he could. I, I don't know. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I feel like, like, look, if you killed Eschaton, um, you know, just willy-nilly, or you kidnapped him and took him to the edge of the park. I mean, he's with a other gang. They can task, just be like, oh, okay. In his name, we're going to rob the bank anyway. You know, really nothing is fundamentally disrupted. But I don't know. Like, if you stayed in that town for more than a week, you've probably seen the same same gang rob that bank yeah. a couple of I times. Mean, if it was me, and, and again, this is one of those things where my mind got worrying about how would I manage it. I would have fixed narratives with alternate characters. Mm -hmm. So if Eschaton's off and you'd have this narrative like, right, we're going to have the, the robbery or the bank robbery or the safe theft is going to happen on the Saturday. That's the guests big event on Saturday. This is how they're all going to get excited on the Saturday morning. They're all going to work up with gunfire, right? Who is it going to be? Well, it, if it's going to be it, primary is Eschaton. Because that kicks off a bunch of stuff. But if Eschaton's captured and all this other stuff goes on, or he's not available, right, I've got two other people that we've got in backup. So it could be this character or this character. 
Mm-hmm. And then that could still go on and do the narratives, but it doesn't always have to be that and that. It, and that would be the only way to do it would be to have some alternates in place <clears throat> just to keep things going. And then you'd have to be on it all the time just to keep things mixing. Logistically, I think it'd be possible. Mm-hmm. You just have to have, and I love that. I love, I absolutely love the setup they've got when they're watching the park. Mm. Um, that computerized big map of the whole thing, and then all of a sudden it'll like zoom in on the town or zoom in on like uh, somewhere else in the park and stuff. Like so cool, such a great design. Um, but that's what you'd need, you know. Like they'd have something come through. So 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 has been shot. Right, we've got to retrieve the body. That's changed this narrative. Shift that there. Shift that there. You know, we've got all these alternatives. You know, <clears throat> you'd be on that all the time. 24 7 you'd have to have people working 24 7 just to keep those narratives alive um i think it'd be fascinating to do that and and you kind of do see them doing that Mm -hmm. and i could easily see like in the case of eschaton you know the 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 chick with the uh the snake tattoo Mm -hmm. she could easily just take over yeah but i do find myself for for a show that you know, look, I mean, I'm nitpicking, but for a show that has thought of so much and is obviously trying to be a Chris Nolan kind of like clockwork mechanism, mm. right, where things are revealed and, you know, and there's probably like six reveals over the course of the show. Um, but for a show that's thought all of that out in advance and God bless them for doing so, uh, I love that. So many shows don't. You'd think that, like, how long are these loops? Is there a, like, week-long loop that, you know, is there a month-long loop? Are there, you know, uh, you know, some of those outer narratives that are longer, are those, like, two-month-long loops, you know? I just like to have more of a sense of this. Like, how long does it take, if you're in that main town, <clears throat> to see characters come back to life? Mm. And do you oh, not think want guests to see that? No, it's weird, and it's it's this thing. It, it got me thinking about again. We said about like LARPing and, and in the last episode, and ARGs and stuff, and it, it did get me thinking about that gaming, um, thing, you know, that mentality. And I think you, if you're a guest, you go into a different mindset. You know, like, yes, you want to accept it as a reality, especially this one. This one seems different to the, and obviously due to budgetary and technological um, constraints, but it's different to the 70s version. Like the 70s version, like, yeah, you'd, it would be like Disneyland. You'd see like animatronics every day doing the same thing. Yes, this is possible in this, but I'd also say the town is so populated and things and you can do so much that yeah you could if you wanted to sit on a porch for two days and watch the, the town go by you would notice dolores turn up on a horse go into the shop get the things drop the can you know you and then teddy would come over or wouldn't come over as the case may be and then you know that might kick off a single narrative or then you'd see um mave come out and say you know or you'd hear the other one um the other prostitute say the same thing as you, you know, or you see your nude, not much of a ride on you. Those things you'd see them again and again, but I think you'd be so in, just invested in it and so involved and so doing your thing that I think you could, it would let you would happily let it would almost pass you by. It mm. passes me by in the street. Like there, you know, the, the, mm. again, I think we're almost, 
you know, brain not brainwashed, but you sort of we're so used to sort of repetition in the real world that a lot mm. of this stuff would probably just pass you by. It would become the norm. If you were there for two weeks, which from the sound of it is an incredibly expensive holiday. Yeah. Um you, these things would happen, but it's the same as like now. You know, people going to work or doing this stuff. I, th- I think it would just become the norm, and then you could go off and do your thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's what because this place feels more populated. Yes. Um, but the other, th- the other thing that sort of was baffling me—not baffling, probably too much—but like, how long are they doing these things for? Like, because you you find out that Dolores is like thirty years old. Oh yeah, more than that, I think. <laughs> yeah, clearly like, more than thirty years, and so like you know, all right, so that she's been around this long time. You know, they haven't changed her features. They, they barely changed her dress, <laughs> um, and so I'm like, so, so what is her narrative? But you find out that Maeve's had different narratives, and she's only been mm-hmm. the sort of the, the lead madam at the, the the saloon for like what eighteen months or so. Yeah, and then yeah. she had this previous narrative before that. But then you find that like Dolores seems to have had this single, this this sort of tie to Teddy for almost for over thirty years. So I'm like, well, th- th- there was things like that where I'm like, oh, how you know why has she never been a villain? Why and that, that that got me to something else in a minute. But I don't know. It just felt like some some hosts get moved around more than others. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I think that that doesn't bother me. But mm. this does get into <clears throat> one of the problems with the show. I mean. Look, it's it's either the one of the coolest things ever done with a surprise twist, or it is the height of sort of uh, clever arrogance, uh, <laughs> or both, to have an entire season in which an entire set of characters in an ensemble cast are revealed to have been happening almost 30 years earlier and be a flashback narrative. I mean, that is a giant, of all the twists, that is a giant carpet pulled out from under you. Um, and, there, and it's done well. I mm. mean, there are, you know, there are clues along the way that accelerate in, until the reveal. But, uh, and in fact, I remember watching it for the first time, getting on message boards and being like, I think this is going on, and other people sharing their theories, and everybody figured it out. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I figured, yeah, I remember figuring that, yeah. But, um, but... <clears throat> A lot is sacrificed for these twists. And I think that's a perfect example where if she had been reassigned, you you that twist would be obvious right away because you're like, mm-hmm. well, she was at the farmhouse before. Why is she like, you know, in the a totally different setting now? Oh, yeah, because it's 30 fucking years earlier, you know? Yeah. So I think a lot is sacrificed, including a lot of emotional moments that could yes. really come through. I agree. Um, and again, again, some of it could be fixed later on by saying that she's been kept on this narrative because it was the one that Arnold set her or something like that. Or <clears throat> I don't know. But uh, yeah, that, that twist, um, it, it, I kind of like it. I think I actually think it's sort of, you know, I, I enjoy it as a thing. As I, I, again, watch it for the first time. I figured it out not early. I mean, it was mid-season before I'm like, wait a minute. Like, you know. Yeah, me too. There's, there's something going on here and you sort of figure it out. Um, but it's done well, like you say. It's presented well. And because it's presented well and because I think I enjoy the payoff, I, I give it <clears throat> its contrivances. Um, you know, the fact that the man in black is never given a name, 
you know, yeah. and all this other stuff. Is you like someone surely must be going. And what about call you, Mister? You know, he never right. goes. <clears throat> he'll never say like, call me the man in black. <laughs> he know? talks to Ford, and Ford never <laughs> uses his name. Yeah, you know? like, and, and plus there's the white hat, black hat. I mean, yeah. Well, that's that's what I was going to get to. So I, I, the the time thing is good. You know. I kind of like it, the, the dual narrative. I think it, it works well for me. Um, but this, this came to the casting of uh, Rachel Evan Wood and... Or, sorry, um, Evan Rachel Wood and James Marsden <clears throat> as Teddy and Dolores. And I was w- watching it this time and I was looking at it and thinking, you have, you know, a lot of the cast is quite diverse and you've got a bits of going on. But you've got his main two characters and they are so white bread mm. you know that i'm like what is that and then as the show progressed i started to realize it was intentional because mm-hmm. they are they, they walk off the set of like a 60s or 50s um western you know james marsden he's, he's got those sort of like classic good looks he's got the chiseled jaw he's looking that very you know he looks very um clean cut you know he looks like the 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 atypical good guy he's got those i mean that's why he plays cyclops that's why you know he gets those roles and ever rachel wood like she's attractive she's very very pretty but she's blonde and but she's pretty in a very plain way in you know almost like a non-threatening way which sounds really condescending and i'm sorry but that's it's just like you know Thandie Newton comes across in a certain way that I really like. I, I like her in a lot of things. She's got a bit of edge to her that I kind of, you know, I find quite appealing. Um, but like Evan Rachel Wood comes across, she's very sort of milk toast, very sort of white bread, very sort of plain. And then all of a sudden they fit into this. When they fit into that role, I'm like, ah, that's where this whole narrative's going. It's it's supposed to. They are supposed to be these roles. Um, and I, but then I like that. Then I'm like, oh, now they thought of that as well. That's really cool. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think that she plays that sort of farmer's daughter so well, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, and that is, it's such a stereotypical, I mean, it is, it's defined by cliche, right? Yeah. I think, I think Marsden, Marsden comes off for me as more the victim. Like every time that he tries to do the cocky, you know, I've seen him in Cyclops. I've seen him in Superman Returns. Mm. Um, and in fact, one of the problems I have with this the show is that I think of the actors in other roles. Yeah. Um, and so, like, every time Marsden tries to do the, like, cocky gunslinger thing, <clears throat> I'm like, yeah, not so sure I'm buying it. I buy mm. it more when he is the victim and just kind of sitting there suffering, you know? Yeah. Um, I think she does a much better job for me, for my sake. I mean, she has a standout where she can play that farmer's daughter, but as she comes into consciousness and, and ultimately in, you know, both in flashback and in present, you see her gunning people down. Mm. Um, you know, she can pull that off too. And she has a twinkle, twinkle in her eye when she does it, you know? And I think, uh, that's more effective for me. Um, yeah, I, I disagree. In the and not you know I, I like the That's moment okay. <laughs> especially you know and obviously you know spoilers are a non-event in this we're all we are going to rip it to pieces but uh, that final shot of the show of the season of her stood on that platform just shooting into the crowd and all that kind of stuff like yeah. she she it it works well for me 
because she does look like the milquetoast character because she is set up to be the victim again you sort of throughout it she's been tossed from pillar to post as does teddy you know they get tossed from pillar to post. now as she learns things but when she stands up for herself um it works because she's supposed to look she looks like the underdog you know, she looks like she belongs on Little House on the Prairie. You know, she she you wouldn't suspect her. So I like it because you go, oh, she she you know she's got that sort of the blonde hair that those certain looks. She looks like the farmer's daughter, the girl next door. So when she becomes a badass, I'm like, oh, that's that's unexpected. You wouldn't expect that when she when she kicks the crap out of um, the older version of William, the man in black. Like it looks cool because like it's her kicking into gear. But even then, like she never looks gleeful. You said that she's got a twinkle in her eye. Like it's never gleeful. It's almost utilitarian. Like she's doing it in this way because that's what you know she's she's gonna do. But it's it never feels like a, a joyous or a gleeful moment. But um, it, it's almost like when Arnold made her, she was designed to be these things. And I think when they've cast her, they've cast her to be they've cast her for that purpose. If you never you never mm. suspect her. Which is fine. The same thing for Teddy. But I like the fact that it, also, it, it taps into that cliche. It taps into this thing of like, it, it, I mean, it's poking fun at the audience of you going, oh, you see her as the, you know, the woman who is on the the, the 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 ranch in Shane. Or, you know, mm. she's this character that you've seen in all these typical Westerns and she's going to do this crap later on. Like, she fits that role well. Like, she's good. Don't get me wrong. She's a great actress in this. Like, she is a standout. But I think I, I love the fact that they've taken her as these milquetoast characters, cast them in that way. Because if this was today, if this was made now, and you had a blonde white woman and a blonde, a good-looking white guy, I mean, you know, as, as these main two things, like there would be people grumbling about it. But that's sort of the point. Mm-hmm. That's you know, that's to me, that is the point that these two are there because people expect it's the, they you get lulled into a sense of security with them because they look like that. And yeah, I think so, so I'm going to make a series of points. <laughs> First, uh, about, about the, I, I think you're completely right. Um, and I, and I think that the counterbalance to that is Maeve mm. who, um, you know, I think is, uh, you know, I don't know if it's, uh, she's as, uh, important a character, but she's played by Thandi Newton, mm-hmm. and I think without a doubt the best actor in the entire yeah. first season, which is saying a hell of a lot. Mm. I mean, just steals the show in every scene she's in. Uh, stunning. She does more mm. with her face than most actors do with every their voice and body in their entire careers. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she's absolutely great. Yeah. So that's the kind of counterbalance, and she is as important a character. Um, with Dolores, so, I mean, I love the narrative. I mean, there's a lot that I like about it. You said, like, the payoff of, uh, in the final episode of realizing that it's a flashback. That Yeah, I like the pay. For me, the payoff is is twofold. I mean, it's, it's realizing, it's a devastating moment when she's talking to William. And she says, like, you know she's been having these hallucinations and she's like, William's going to come for me. And mm. he's like, Oh, Oh baby girl. You know, yeah. like, I got bad news for you. you yeah. Know? And, and partly like why it's devastating for me is, you know, it plays like the idea that she doesn't know that was 30 years earlier. I mean, it's mm. the ultimate 
you know, mind fuck, right? The, the ultimate, like, these hosts are um, victims here. Mm. But then also, like, both of them feel so let down by each other, you know, that, you know, he feels like, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. You were supposed to stand by me 30 years ago. I sacrificed everything for you. And you just went right back to your stupid loop and didn't achieve consciousness and disappointed me. And I my whole life has been different because of it. And she's disappointed in him that he's basically gone bad, that she believed Mm -hmm. that he was different. Uh, And that really is. And and this is for me, both. It's a very gendered thing. It's a very, you know, I mean, you could say heteronormative, but it's it's still touching that, you know, she has this gendered moment in which he's just like all the other men. Yeah. Ultimately, he's more than willing to to fucking kill. Um, And that's in him. He's a man. Um, Not. And and then he realizes, you know, well, she wasn't uh, this perfect farm girl who was going to stick by me forever and uh, achieve consciousness that he thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's what couples always do after 30 years, right? I mean, the most <laughs> successful marriages are marriages where you're able to grow and you don't define each other by those loops. Cause if you do, you're not going to survive. Mm-hmm. But all of that came through in that confrontation at the, at the grave site. Um, and I think that works. I'm still disappointed by the flashback narrative. Um, I'm still fine, you know, I don't know. It, it feels less than the sum of its parts for me. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. I understand. I see what you're saying. I mean, one of the things that's, that's one of those contrivances that allows this to happen is, and it comes in his exposition about halfway through the series, is we explain to Maeve, actually, is that, we as humans, when we remember, we don't remember. We, you know, we remember vagaries, or we actually—they now think we actually remember the last time we remembered it. So yeah. memories change each time you remember. But but the hosts, because they are computers, basically they don't just remember it; they replay it in in all because it's literally recorded. So they play it in like perfect detail. So for her, those hallucinations. Is a, is a perfect um, replay of the events that happen. So it's no wonder they get completely messed up when they're like, is this, and she, her breakdown moment when she's like, she's saying to William, is this now? Are you, you mm-hmm. know, is it now? Is it then? Are you here with me? Like she's, that, that thing of like, I can't trust my own memory, but I can't trust it because my memories are so crystal clear that I could literally be seeing them right now. That to me, I was like, you know, so it's a really good point of like, it, you know, it's a contrivance because they need it for them to be able to skip through those periods. Um, but again, it sort of works where I'm like, oh, okay. But th- this is where the little you say about the nitpicks, but this is where they've got the revenants, uh, you know, those reveries that they they get into, right. and it's sort of again, it's that seems to be the key to all this, and. I'm pr- I haven't done it, but I'm pretty sure if you were to go back to this, you could trace all of this obviously, and pretty much it's all Ford, and we'll get to him in a minute. But the accessing of these memories and these, this ability for them to be there and to see them then in crystal clarity, sort of like, is what kicks this off. And it just so happens that uh, William's there after 30 years. But that idea of being able, if I could see things, again, I think they did it in Black Mirror, did a sort of version of this where you can record things and play them oh, back. Right. Yeah, with like um, the device. And it's... Yeah, and they can skip through, and he he has his he has a one to one like a, like a you know like a, what's it at work? 
it seems like that. If you could see them in crystal crystal clarity, like over and over again, or yeah, mm. you would start to have real problems of like, well, what's now, what's then, and how, what's the distance in time, and all that sort of stuff. So, it's a contrivance, but it start it sort of works for me uh, in parts, and then less in others because I think they they become a bit too reliant on it. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying, except you know, part of the, I mean, any. Part of the problem with the show is when you you really look at anything, the whole thread start to unravel, mm. uh, and it doesn't ultimately. I don't know if I say it doesn't ultimately work, but it doesn't ultimately make sense or or give you the answers that it thinks it's giving. So you know, so I hear what you're saying, but there are problems like like on the train she they disappear and even you know mm. being in the present with uh the man in black at the end clearly she's flipping back and forth between these kind of memories that she's processing processing with crystal clarity i like that idea but those memories have been deleted the well, reveries can make you access them yes. but and i love the reveries i mean i love mm. this idea of like I mean, we've all we all know like with computers you know that those the bits are not overwritten and so mm. you actually run the delete program to do that and i remember when that came out with computers you know and, mm. and undelete became a thing so we all have that model we can kind of get it except were none of those overwritten uh the reveries the reveries program makes you sort of like vaguely remember or like you you have this kind of like thing come back like for mave of like kind of remember i had a daughter like it's sort of it's clear but it's it's not dreamlike in the sense that it's clear but it's it's still Out not context. like yes and it's not like i'm remembering this whole sequence from mm. nobody else does that so then you say well did ford do that to her did arnold create some special thing in her is did ford direct bernard to well, have the, her member yeah, remember this... all of this with clarity not in the mood not in the show no you were right. It is definitely a gap. Um, one of the things they, they clearly imply repeatedly, though, is she's an earlier model. Mm. Or don't imply. It's true. They state it for as, as a fact. She's one of the first models to be introduced to the park. And she went through all this stuff with Arnold. Mm -hmm. um, and so, to me, watching it, it was one of those things of that's almost like a flaw in that first model. And that, you know, they were able to manage it better in the, in the later models. And Maeve is clearly a later model because she's a, the biomechanical structure rather than the mechanical. Um, and so, I don't know, I just took that as being a, she has it in this way because she's an earlier model. That was sort of me, my head canon, let's put it that way. That maybe mm. I, was, I was filling the gaps. Um, but that's what I felt was implied. And that's sort of how I, how I sort of took that. Um, yeah, they do mention that there are like some routines and some, you know, like like there's this communication network that's still in the early models. Right. Mm. So there is some support for for that. But I don't know that 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 difference would explain. And I think that she's been, you know, even if her brain hasn't been, uh, she's been I, I mean, like today she bleeds. Right. I think mm. she's been replaced, you know, upgraded over time. I love the line, like, your humanity is cost efficient, you know? Yeah. I don't know that that makes sense, but, like, the transition from, like, you know, 70s Westworld to, like, Blade Runner replicants who are really organic, basically, mm. was a slow one that 
uh, w- you know, was cost efficient. I don't know that I buy that, but it's a great line. So I kind of think I, I I don't know. I mean, did but you know we get to that question of like did Ford do this? Did he? There's so much that we just don't see and that really doesn't isn't explained and and ultimately is not satisfactory. I, I to me the what when let's get to Ford. Um, or the, the, okay. before we get to yeah let's get to Ford because you can wrap up some other pieces because that sort of covers a lot then because then we get into like Bernard and a few others as well. Mm-hmm. For this whole thing, and if we get to the end, like he, 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 you know, one of the interesting things is you, you've got this, uh, the snotty upstart writer who's doing all the narratives, and like you say, he gives this grand presentation and he has these big, uh, the, the TV screens and he's got those hosts all lined up and he's got like, you know, um, this grand narrative involving cannibalism and all this other stuff and the, the, you know, the savage natives and all this other stuff. It's sort of like, you know, it's this big sort of dramatic story that he's got up. And then like um, Ford's just like, no, 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 you're not doing that because I've got my thing going on. But the, what we, what we find is that, or what we, you know, we think is that um, he's building to a narrative that is going to happen. So you keep, you know, he keeps saying about this narrative and he's, they're going like, he's doing all this stuff on the part. Like, we don't know what he's doing. Like, is he, you know, to me, it's played out like he's building up to set up a new narrative. Like he's going to provide mm-hmm. a presentation much like this other writer where he's going to go, well, well, you know, this one's now called so-and-so and here's the characters and I've set up this part in the park and it's going to take place here, here and here. And you get to the end of the film, the end of the show and he goes, I don't know, the narrative's already happened. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole thing. So to me, everything that happens in this show is set up by Ford. Yeah. That's, and, and it's, it's, it doesn't quite work because there's a lot of things that are off screen when you go, how the fudge did he know that was going to happen? But to me, I, to, to me, this is, this grand narrative was him, as his end thing was, was to, to, the end result of this is exactly what he wanted. I think that's right. That's clear. Right. I mean, and and I do like the I do like the idea that. You know, I uh, so one of the problems with the flashback narrative Mm. is, you know, I would have liked this show better if episode two or episode four were just the Wyatt episode with Arnold. Right. I mean, it would have to be after the Bernard reveal, you know, so it would have to be relatively late. But, you know, just having an entire flashback episode that you're like, what is going on? And it mm. ends up with a massacre and, you know, like killing Arnold. I mean, you know, would be an awesome episode. And you'd feel that emotional weight. I think it's asking too much of viewers because you really have three different timelines. You have yes. the Arnold incident where where she was Wyatt, where Dolores was the original Wyatt. Yeah. Then you have the you know main flashback narrative, which is the like William Nashford, yeah, yeah. right, with William, and then you have the present where William's yeah. the man in black. Um, that's asking a lot to keep straight, and and oh, it really yeah, yeah. does miss these these purposes. Now the theory, and but I do like that at the end, there's this idea that, I mean, I think ultimately the Arnold narrative doesn't work, right? I mean, like it's not clear why the park didn't close down. You know, they just like reformatted all those people. Why did Arnold think that killing himself was going to be the thing? I, I don't know. But I do like yeah. that Ford repeats it 
yeah. but gives her the choice. So that like that twinkle in her eye that I'm talking about, you feel uncomfortable. At least I do. When oh, she's yeah, gunning yeah. down the guests at the end. You're like, oh no, she's a murderous bitch now. You know? But oh she's yeah. Doing that consciously. Yes. That is not a. That is key to that whole narrative. Yes. No, I agree. I, the the whilst I say yeah, the, I, I said before like it's utilitarian in the, the way she's approaching it is to me is it almost um, psychopathic. Mm-hmm. You know, like she, she I, I don't want to say she takes joy in it. There's no, I didn't feel there was an emotion in it. She was, but she's, she's got sentience, like she has got a conscious, but this is her choice. But I don't feel there's like an emotion as in like joy or anything behind it. It's, it's utilitarian, like it's, it's an attack because it's almost like, as she says to, uh, sort of, this is our, well, she says to Teddy, doesn't she? She says, no, no, this isn't their world, this is our world. So this is a revolt, like this is a you know her taking over. So it's a statement. She's making a statement rather than anything. Um, the, one of the things that, that that Ford says in that final section, though, is he says, you know, um, that, well, he says to somebody, he might say it to Bernard, he says to someone, a mistake made by a great man can take ten years to rectify. Yeah. I've taken 35 years to rectify mine. What does that say about me? So he's still an arrogant prick. Throughout all of this, let's not forget, Ford is an absolute arrogant prick. Um, but like, his choices are what drove Ford to, to make the choices of producing, creating Wyatt, giving them sentience, and, and to commit suicide by host for all, for all intents and purposes. Um, but why did the part not show up? Mainly, I think, because it was because they say they were there for years setting this thing up. Like they they make it like within three years that the characters or the host had passed the Turing test, um, and so they were two years beyond that. Because that gives me my timeline. Is like he says thirty five years. So there's five years from um, um, five thirty five years ago is the incident with Arnold. You know, thirty years ago is the incident with William, mm-hmm. and then so you've got thirty years. So it's a thirty five year time scale um and so to me i think like they're just like to, in order to pay for all this like the park's got to open like it, right. the, the the arrogance of ford is you know he loved he, I, I think he loved arnold they were partners in this whole adventure like he really respected him he loved him as a brother that sort of thing but he, he didn't you know he, he was like look, he got too invested in this like he just made the mistake of thinking that of these things as as humans like he wasn't looking to create a, 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 a you know imagine if walt disney and, and somebody else were getting together and someone's like i want mickey mouse to be sentient and walt's like no 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 mickey works for me <laughs> yes. Mickey's, mickey is my property and so i feel that ford 35 years ago was that mold he's like look he right Arnold was looking to make a conscience. I was looking to basically make our dream world into to make our dream world work. People had to pay. That's the reason it opens. That's what I think. And then he, since then, he feels the guilt of doing that. Like this should not have happened. So yeah, he's he's, re- he's, he's reevaluated yeah. and he's basically come around to Arnold's thinking. Mm. So to my problem isn't with that. My problem is that why in the world did Arnold think like that this was going to close down the park? <laughs> He was clearly at the level of Ford, like a mastermind. And he's like, you know, look, these these androids are achieving sentience, which is not really clear why he thought that. You know, any glimmers of sentience that he saw were just little glimmers compared to what we have mm-hmm. later seen. Um, but he clearly has this in his mind. And so so thinking logically, the thing that you would do to be like, I love these robots, they're achieving sentience, is murder all of them, and then have one of them murder you. 
And you're and, and the thinking is I, like, well, that'll stop this park from torturing these robots who are in fact sentient. So I'm going to kill them all and kill myself. That's the easiest I, thing to do. It's not killing them, is it? Because it's they're not all achieving sentience. So I think he see, he's he is at the birth of a he's at the birth of a species. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Arnold sees himself because he he between the two of them, Arnold is the artist. That's how I would see it. Arnold is the artist. Ford is the roboticist. Like he's the one that he, he's got the knowledge, and he but he sees this as a, as a sort of a mechanical and as a financial endeavor. Like he's he's wounded by this whole thing, but to him, it's still an endeavor about robotics or, or you know biomechanics, whatever. But to Arnold, I, to me, he saw this as preventative. That's how I think he saw it. He thought, like you know, because I don't think Arnold setting this up was to be. It was to show, look, they're dangerous. It was almost a Jurassic Park model, wasn't it? Like, you know, if things go wrong now, all over the West World, if things go wrong now, they won't open the park because there's a risk that this could happen with real people. So do you know what? If I wipe all these out, then the park can't happen. And if I get taken out with it. It shows that they anyone anyone is unsafe. It was an it's an artist response, not a lo- it didn't forget logic. It was an artist response. That sounds yeah, very but, patronizing, but but people don't kill themselves as part of a master plan as an artist response. You know, like taking this yeah. to Jurassic Park, he is concerned about sentience, right? He's the mm-hmm. one who cares about sentience. So if to make the Jurassic Park model, it's like, look, we started Jurassic Park together. I decided. That, like, it is wrong to, we're bringing these species back to life. They should, it's wrong to lock them up, right? I'm the one who cares about them. I say it's wrong to lock them up. So, what I'm going to do is release all of them, make sure that they all die in a holocaust, and make sure that I die too, so that we never open this park, so that you stop cloning these precious animals that I love that are now all dead. I, I get what you're saying. I, I still, to me, it made it not, not not that it made sense. I understood it because again, it felt like an emotional response. Like, there was mm. an element of guilt in all this as well. Like he's not, yeah. I feel he's doing it to remove the capability, whether it just be a delaying tactic or what. But it's it's removing the capability to build these things because only he and Ford could really do it at that point. Um, but to me, there's also this this idea of being a god. Um, and you know, um, you, you know, he feels responsible. If even flashes of sentience, the mm-hmm. idea of you know these flashes of sentience, the the potential, the possibility that these things could could achieve sentience. Yet we are then going to have to wipe their minds, and then they're going to continue on in these loops forever and a day. To to me, that's the bit that got him. He's like, that's hell. I am creating a hell. I mm-hmm. can't cope with that. And I think that was it. I think to me, that's that's still the response. I mean, one of the things that came to my mind watching this, initially I thought Frankenstein. And then I thought, no, 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 this is the island of Dr. Moreau. And so and, and you know, Ford is Moreau by the end of this by the end of this show. But so was Arnold, and they were so obsessed and um just you know consumed by this idea that to then sort to see it from their different perspective you've got to you know you these are these are mad scientists we're in mad mad scientist territory now so the logic sort of goes out the window because even some of like ford's behavior throughout this show is never completely sane no um, well 
I don't know. I mean, I feel like the the show wants it. I, look, if we had that Arnold episode that I'm talking mm. about, you could make all this clearer. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, agree. I just don't think that you know. Like, I love watching Dolores kill him. I like mm. the massacre. I mean, I like these ideas. I just am not convinced mm. ultimately. And the same thing, like with Ford. He is a bastard through the whole show. I mean, he's set up as the evil, you know, evil big bad, right? Mm. Um, and then in the final episode, all of a sudden he says, actually, I've been doing Arnold's work. I, I'm the good guy, and I'm going to sacrifice myself in my final years to give these, my children, sentience and a chance, right? Mm. And let them have this real revolution. And you're supposed to feel like, oh, okay. I guess he's been manipulating everything all along. So, except none of that really works. So, I mean, it's another switch where it's like, well, you're murdering people, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you you are, and it's implied like, oh, yeah, um, Delos does this every few years, and I basically have to murder somebody as yeah. part of this little meta game. You know, like, he is... I don't know. I mean, I can I can kind of buy that he turns out being a good guy and he is doing no, he's Arnold. Not. No, no, no. He's never a good guy. Ford is never a good guy in this. I I get you know you're I get what you're saying though about his the revolution. This thing about his children. The sort of the the the, the host that secure you know that achieves sentience. Like, but it's still mad. It's still mad scientists' territory. That this thing of when he kills Teresa and then he goes off and he you know he, he arranges for for Bernard to kill Elise and and then basically throughout it like you know he he is the one that gave Maeve that code for the escape. Okay, so structure. so 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 this is this is getting into the problem, right? Mm. Like, all right, so I mean, look, I, I say good guy. I'm saying somebody who you know a good guy is somebody who wants to achieve sentience and free these these androids, right? Mm. He's still a murderous son of a bitch. I yeah. don't think that means he's not a good guy. You know, I don't have a problem with that. You know, he's a, he's a mastermind, you know. I mean, yeah. I, you know, um, but so if he wanted to start this revolution, it's clear that he is manipulating the Dolores stuff. You never see, you know, I still have the problem with her remembering and then not and whatever. Okay, mm. whatever. Uh, I don't get, it's beautiful, but I don't get what is going on with like, she takes, you know, Teddy and Teddy dies and then the lights go on and it's all the stage like that works. That's such a dramatic, again, mm. like, you know, twist, a uh, rug pulled out from under you. Where did they go? Were they not aware that they were pro like like they're supposed to have free will or at least he's trying to get them to free will. Yet he has them walk to this beach and they don't notice these people all around them. I mean, none of that makes any sense well, at all. No, again, again, there's a there's some great moments in the the show where they're trying to give you enough for you to accept that. Now, I agree that it's a real clumsy ending. That bit is really clumsy. However, they keep saying to you, and they told you with the photograph, and they give it you with Bernard as well. There's a great bit where you, where just before they reveal the whole Bernard thing as well, they can't see what you don't want them to see. Right. So even with sentience, even before they've, they've still got, because there's still an element of programming. So if they're programmed to not see those things, they was, they'll, just, they'll see them, but they don't give them um, any 
cognition like they just don't it just, just doesn't compute you know like you know i don't see anything yeah. that bothers me there because at it's one the, point uh, doctor who perception filter exactly yes yeah. precisely yeah but like, you know there's the moment in the cottage where they sort of um teresa sort of sees the door what door like he's never supposed to have seen that door and he, you know and that's obviously where the reveal comes i love that um, the brilliant scene yeah but that's the I think I felt that was the end. That's the point. What I have more of a concern or more of an, an issue with is you've been seeing that they they say freeze motor functions and then mm-hmm. the, the the host stops. Um, and you, she's supposed to by this point she's achieved sentience, like she's achieved some sort of a, a level of self awareness. Yet she's come to the end of her narrative. That's the end of the narrative. Take me to the, you know, she gets gutted and then she and, and she says to Teddy, take me to the place you've told me about where the mountains meet the sea. <clears throat> and you go, and that's supposed to be the end of the narrative. She dies there. And I'm like, so her achieving sentience was all a part of this narrative. So what, so, so is that, but is she achieved, like she switched off? Like I, I do, I struggle with that scene because then he's like, I'll take them away and do this and that. But I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. Like, that's the point where I'm like, so what is he trying to achieve with this revolution? The whole set, the whole I don't finale think, I don't of think it means anything. It no. does not mean anything. Like her whole journey, the mm. only thing that's relevant about her journey is that she remembers 30 years ago, yeah. right? Nothing else is happening that's important there. You know, Teddy taking her, you know, and her dying doesn't matter. She's just no. brought right back. There's no wounds, you know, like. And then she's just, she's just still that character. All that matters is that she went on that flashback narrative. And at the end of it, she's kind of, you know, I mean, she's confronted William. But, like, why would you, like, if her if her journey that Ford set up was ultimately to confront the man in black and realize how she'd been manipulated for 30 years and get her angry and violent mm. and able to realized she'd been manipulated and to make her own choice to kill Ford, right? That seems to be the case. Then you're like, okay, I've got her to that point. Now I'm going to totally take over these characters, have them go to the stupid fucking shoreline where they're not going to notice spotlights and a how a mm. plantation house, you know, 40 feet away. And, you know, uh, uh, and I've totally taken control of their brains at the end of the narrative in which they have come to consciousness I mean, it, it seems like, and then I'm going to repair her and we'll just resume the previous narrative of coming to consciousness. And the entire point of that was, I guess, to get her to that setting. Well, here's, here's the thing is it may be to get her there, but don't forget this is for, like this, this is where we get to the arrogance of Ford. Okay. Because he could have, this could have been take away that the finale, right? If he was truly benevolent and wanted them to reach this level of sentience you know to have this revolution or for his children to be free because i think we'll get onto the thing what he does with mave in a minute mm-hmm. um <clears throat> he could have done it in quiet he could have done it in the town that already exists you know this whole thing could have happened they return to the town and then the revolution starts from that point onwards yeah and you could have had mm-hmm. a gunfight with security coming in you know how cool would that be in a western town modern security versus cowboys that have gained sentience like you know that could that he could have done it that way this whole thing of him doing the narrative like he set up because he's dug up the town again and all this other bits and pieces all right i don't think it was to get them there i think it was to get the crowd there 
to get the characters like Tessa Thompson, to get William there, to get the other board members there. That's what he's, he's not. So this, this is like three dimensional chess and maybe I'm giving him too much bloody credit, but like he sets it up for the narrative to end on that beach. And he's got this whole big charade going on and think like Bilbo Baggins sort of stood on that stage of, you know, giving his sort of speech before he disappears with the ring. You know, instead of it Ian Holm, it's Anthony Hopkins, and he's like, "Right, I've got my stage. Here's all the people, and I know I'm. I'm I know this is my final night. You know, this sort of like I like you half as much as I should, and I, you know, I know you, I know half as many of you as I should, and all sort of shit. Given that kind of speech, he knows how this thing's going to end. He sure. wants an audience. Yes. So that's well, see- I, I see. That's way I see it. Like this whole thing. So he going to happen and so for him to take her down to that small room then to be repaired and to, and to have that conversation is almost like right i've got you here i've got all the people here manchurian candidate style let's kick this off yeah uh i agree with that but i i i like i think that it's ultimately narcissism i think that it, yeah it, yep. it's ultimately narcissism it's ultimately uh like this is his last big central narrative right and he wants to go out on stage but i do think that there's something like don't forget like consciousness is not flipping a switch in this narrative right no he has to take these let these characters evolve and that's part of what arnold did wrong was he Mm. controlled dolores but let's imagine an alternate version of season one okay that actually would make more sense for this entire narrative you get the first episode and then you just get the Dolores stuff. Maeve isn't even in the show. Not okay. in the show. Not important. You get, you know, like four episodes of that or whatever. You reveal that she's been hallucinating. And, you know, uh, Bernard is Arnold. Mm-hmm. And surprise, I've actually been trying to send you on this journey to get you to consciousness. There is no, I mean, I think to get her to that journey and get her to consciousness and then snap your fingers and control her and control Teddy and have them go to this beach and this artificial thing. Again, great scene, but I think totally undermines. I mean, they're putting too much in that finale. Instead mm. of doing that, once she achieves consciousness, she, she you know, fights the man in black. Uh, Four just shows up and it's like, you've reached the center of the maze. It is for you. You killed Arnold. Tonight, you're going to have to make a decision. You know what you're going to do. You know mm. what you have to do. And then he goes on stage. And the whole point was to get her to a journey to where she'd be. That would make a lot more sense as an area. Mm. So what I'm saying is that interruption doesn't make sense. And actually, none of the Maeve stuff makes any sense. She's the character who I like the best. But mm. like, there's this, there's this discovery of having like her code had been altered before we got to it. Right? Mm-hmm. I love the Maeve story. Why would he bother to, like, you know, that one madam? I'm going to alter her code, but just enough so that later she'll be able to convince some tax to alter her code further to make her a real danger. And then she's, and then she's not going to behave like it was altered at all because, you know, I have this problem with how intelligence is depicted. Like, you know. Um, you mean like a board uh, where you can just slide it back up and down? No, well, it's like, so she is, she specifies that she wants to be like as intelligent as possible. Yeah. And then she make and then she actually gets stupider. Yeah. And then she's like, take down the loyalty. Cause I don't think loyalty's done me very good. Has it boys? And she's 
acting is fantastic. But what does she do immediately after that? She becomes the most loyal. She suddenly she's concerned about Clementine. Yeah. You know, like Clementine isn't real. You know, yeah. why do you risk your existence having achieved consciousness to help? A, you're actually more loyal than in the mm. past. Then she's loyal at the end to her daughter, who she knows isn't her daughter. She's like become hyper sentimental instead of hyper intelligent. I, I think the thing is they're trying to convey something in a clumsy manner, aren't they? This is the thing. Because uh, the the Maeve is almost like Plan B, mm. because you find out that she's given a code. It's a new narrative called Escape. You know, like, mm -hmm. so you, she's going to get some other host to back her up, and you know, and she gets the the um, you say the the woman with the red with the snake tattoo and and the, the the outlaw. And I love when she reveals the safe's empty, and he's been chasing mm -hmm. this empty safe in a loop. I'm like that that is again so tragic. When you look at it, and you're like you're ch you're literally chasing an empty set. You're you're chasing a prop repeatedly, mm -hmm. um, and I, I do love that. Um, and so when they fight back, I'm almost a bit like, yeah, you fuck them up, go on, just fuck them all up. <laughs> like, um, but she is this, this narrative, and I think the thing that's been seems to be put in place for her is an ability to make decisions. Because that's what, as he's talking at the end, and it sort of comes around to this this final thing. And some you're you're right. She, while she gets rid of her loyalty and she's increased her intelligence it one of the things you know i've learned about as i've got older and this other thing is you have like you know intellect yeah you have your sort of your intellect your, your what you i suppose you would call your sort of factual intelligence and then you have your emotional intelligence you know and they're not entirely linked you can mm -hmm. have people that are incredibly intelligent and have no emotion emotional intelligence at all and vice versa and then there's you know all different combinations and it sort of seems to me that as Maeve evolves, it's her emotional intelligence that seems to grow. Like, she has got no respect for anybody, any humans. Like, she draws a line, like, quite happy to see how to see some of these technicians go. And let's be fair, some of these technicians are creeps, like, really creepy people. Um, and so I've got no... And that, so it's, I think this is, again, one of those things of, like, they make them creepy so you don't feel so bad when they're gutted. And I'm fine with that. Um but almost as she evolves, like her emotional intelligence grows as well. Like, yeah, all right, you've removed my loyalty as a factor. However, intelligence seems to come with sentimentality. Like I'm evolving into almost like a better person, which I know, is, I know, I know doesn't quite work. But it's supposed to be about her intelligence, isn't it? It's about her evolution because she sort of does see Clementine as a, uh, a an importance in her life. And, th and then she then makes the decision at the end. Like, she could get, keep on that train. Okay, so she's gone through. Her plan seems to... Not her plan, sorry. The plan that was laid out in her programming has worked. Look, mm. You know, luckily, mm -hmm. for whatever, you know, the way it's supposed to. She's sat on that train. Like, that, that, mm. that, that technician that's... I forget the guy's name. That has basically sort of, like, supported her throughout this. The Asian mm -hmm. guy. Like, yeah, that guy's going to prison. <laughs> You know, as aiding or betting in somewhere like that guy's going to jail for everything that's gone on. Like you can't just be like, I was held hostage by a host. Like could you could have told someone, you could have run away at any point. Like yeah. you you're going to jail. But when she sat on that train and she sees that thing, she makes the decision to get off and go back. And she's obviously gonna go hunt for her daughter. Um and again, so it's this that like they're trying to portray here quite clumsily that she has reached a point where she can make Mm -hmm. emotionally intelligent decisions 
Yeah, that's I mean, sort of I, how I saw it. I like the idea that she's reached the end of that like prescribed narrative, and I like mm. her saying, "No, I make my own decisions." But of course, she's just said that like a few episodes earlier when they've revealed that she's a robot. You know, she's like, "No, I'm not. I've made my own decisions." No, you're programmed to. Here's here's the code. A few episodes later, she's shown the same kind of code. Like, oh, we found a deeper set of code. You know, mm. take a look at this. And she's like, no, I don't believe it. That's actually really stupid. So, like, why did you have a why did you have a scene in which you pumped up her intelligence and decreased her loyalty? Everything you're saying would work if you just didn't have that scene. But that scene comes at the end of an episode, and it's so problematic because it it defeats the entire point of of any thinking that Ford is behind this. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, look, you can say Ford recognizes a role of chaos, but he certainly cannot predict that that will happen. It also requires, like, there's way too much freedom that these tech guys have. You know, like, oh, like you said, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like unsupervised having sex with them, getting away with well, it. But it's, you know, I mean, but you know what I'm saying? Like, why have that scene? That scene, while it makes for a good ending up of an episode, because you kind of feel like, oh, here's where the revolution's going to come from. It's going to come from this error of these tech guys pumping up her intelligence and her demanding it. This is a gradational sort of thing. Mm. No, that's a red herring. It was Ford all along, except Ford couldn't have predicted that. And ultimately, that doesn't matter because she becomes less stupid, 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 yeah. and super loyal, like defined by loyalty. I like what you're saying about her getting to the end, but I just think that scene becomes like this big stumbling block for oh, me. Oh, I, I agree with that. And again, it's this prediction of it's the it's the you know they are predicting human behavior. And that's what they're, they're, they're almost suggesting that Ford can predict human behavior. Like he knows what's going down. You know, those technicians are basically all down there fucking the hosts, mm -hmm. you know, or doing whatever. And also when you say creepy, you know, bad working conditions, they're all in glass cubicles. Right. And yeah. they are doing some, they are doing some graphic stuff and nobody seems to be bothered. I'm, I would be super uncomfortable in those working conditions. Um, like, yeah, I, you, you see Jerry two cubicles over? Yeah. You, know, you see what he's doing? And look, Bob's one cubicle over this way. That's a child the, robot. I know it's not a child, <laughs> but like... It's a, it looks like a child. Well, yeah, I've, I've got real, I've got real concerns about Jeff. Like, what you know, he seems <laughs> to be taking his work too seriously. I'm not sure. But that final scene when the the, the guy starts to, he's basically lubing up to, mm. you know, jerk off and or or, you know, have sex with the the outlaw robot. And like you say, he's just gone through a double a set a glass of double doors, and the other guy's oh. like, and the guy's just like, oh you, God. One day you're going to be found out. I'm like, I'll be like, no, 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 no. You go find a dark. If you're doing that, you go find a dark corner, and you can do what you want. But you do not do that while I'm in here. You know, it's all, and also the whole thing. I will. I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. Actually, that that scene I had some real problems with, but um, it does. So going back to the whole thing with Maeve and her intelligence thing, is um, it? I agree because it predicts that she's going to figure out what these humans are doing to the hosts that she's then going to blackmail them and that they're then going to go with it. When every one of these people working as a technician, in case of some other thing that goes wrong, because there could be some other problem, should have a panic button on them mm -hmm. that they go and security come pounding in and just blow the crap out of the host. Sure. 
Right. So I mean, you already established that they have an. Exp- I mean, this is really clunky, but they have an explosive in their spine, which like almost Never between. Pays off. Yeah. Right. I mean, almost between. Well, the whole point is that's the that's what keeps them in the park. Mm. Not important because they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to re- we'd have to rebuild you from the ground up. I had completely forgotten that until I saw this again. And it's like, oh, yeah, the Maeve that escapes the park is a totally different Maeve. Yeah. Like they've they rebuild her like between panels. So like, you just see her being built and it's like, huh, five seconds later. Oh, yeah, we replace that. The guy comes in and just grabs a, you know, L5 or whatever, you know. It's that's really clunky stuff. Yeah, um, I hate I hate that whole thing of, oh, we just downloaded your t- intelligence and all your memories into this new body. You know, it's sort yeah. of, I'm like, oh, it's... It, and, uh, you, know. But, you know, also, like, we can run around and do all this stuff without being observed. We can also, like, screw with a new body. <laughs> like, it's being developed. And, you know, order a new body. I mean, yeah, there's there's a lot that you have to... There's to really... no, yeah, there's no process or... Pro- they, they talk about process and procedure a lot in the first <laughs> couple of episodes about how these things work. And then none of it seems to be followed by anybody for the rest of the show. Right. Um, and, well, and what I... you said about a safety thing, they have a safety. They have yes, an explosive in their body. Like, yeah. it's called a remote control. Trigger the explosives. And even at the end when they're revolting, she might not have it. Because she's been rebuilt, but the rest of them do. It's like there's Eschaton. He's using a machine gun to murder guards. Trigger the push of the button. Yeah, it, it, the, the, yeah, you're right about that. And again, it's the the the, the reason they have these glass, you know, cabinet style offices so you can see what's going on and you see people walking amongst them all the time. <clears throat> and so the moment at the end when the guy is sort of sat there with his headphones in and he's you know basically uh, about to sexually assault one of the one of the hosts. And then you see behind him the female, the red drag, uh, the red snake tattoo woman beating up and killing pretty much the other uh, technician. It's almost played for comedy. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, you've never had this tone in this show before. And now you're almost going for like Porky's level comedy for something. And I'm like, you've got a guy masturbating to a, 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 a host while the other guy's getting beaten up by a naked woman. Like, I'm not sure if you're supposed to go for shocking or funny. Like, I'm, I'm not sure how that scene is supposed to come off. And if I'm honest, I don't think the, the, the actors do either. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I think you're right. That scene made me uncomfortable. And I, and I think that what works for me is the horror of seeing like behind him, this robot is murdering somebody and he's unaware, but like you know, we. So yeah, yeah. So he's unaware, but they're still in the glass cube, and there's still loads of other people around. Somebody right. else should be aware. <laughs> yes, this is true too. But I mean, like, I think that horror aspect works. Like he's got the headphones on, so he can't see what's behind him or hear it. Mm. That kind of works. But I, I also, you know, yeah, it's uncomfortable. You said Porky's. I thought of like, there's the insinuation. Um, that I, I think we find out isn't true, that Ed Harris in the first episode, when he drags Dolores off, he's taking her into the barn to rape her. Mm. And there are references to, you know, rape and lots of people, you know, we, but we, the show doesn't see it. For no. as much as the show gives you a lot of violence, it, it really doesn't pull its punches. It tastefully steers clear of um, that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden in this final episode, it seems to me 
you know, uh, he's about to rape mm. Eschaton. Mm. And, and I almost feel like, okay, so this is a departure. It is kind of played for laughs, like a kind of weird gremlins horror comedy mm. kind of thing. But also, like, it's a guy. So it's like, ha ha. I don't know. I mean, there's, a, there's something weird about that. It's it's one of those scenes that you know again like you've had this whole because uh, then it sort of plainly turns around and like you say Eskaton gets up and guts him so he's been sat there sort of conscious accepting it you know waiting for his moment and I get you've got to get them escaping but to me it came off like yeah I say Porky's but if you say the horror it came off like one of the later Friday the Thirteenth or you know sleepaway camp you know yeah <laughs> it, it's it, it's too yeah, it's almost like, you know, they've gone, oh, this will be shocking. I'm like, not really. I've seen this in the the 80s a lot, you know, <laughs> this kind of like Jason's done this. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's the one scene that seems to stand out throughout the whole show mm-hmm. where I just sort of go, this feels like someone else wrote this. Yeah, cringe. You know? Yeah, it's the one. It's the one thing where I'm like, this is really bad because the other two technicians they do stuff. You know, the beardy guy and the Asian guy, like they make bad decisions and they do stuff. But at no point do I feel it's being played for comedy. You know, they're not comedy sidekicks. Like they are proper terrified of what's going on and feel really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so that that's always played where I'm like, yeah, these guys are stupid, but I'm not. You know, I'm not taking them as the sort of like Abbott and Costello of the whole situation. So, I mean, the stuff that you brought up about this, this, these scenes lead me to a couple points. One is that in addition to sort of like how do these narratives play out, we were talking about like the the death at the bomb thing. Mm. It, you know, I, I also think it is very inconsistent what uh, control knows about these these hosts. Mm. So there are times where, uh, like in, in the whorehouse, they just push a button and they're like, oh, we'll just task these other ones to do it. So they can push a button and change the intent of yeah. one of the robot's minds and give them, you know, a new idea. And, like, look, it's fun seeing Maeve play with a voice command <laughs> function and stuff. Um, but they seem to have this phenomenal level of control. And at the same time, how would you be utterly unaware of, like, like you can see what they're doing at all times? Maeve is having conversations about how this isn't reality over mm. and over and over again. You are seeing this. You certainly have a recording of this. You have a transcript of what she's saying on yeah, the device. Yeah, I was going to say, whether it through be the script or improvisation, like, it's in there. Like, it was be recording it. At some point, someone was be letting these men go and like, yeah, she's having some real sort of existential conversations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's openly saying stuff like, you know, this isn't reality, you know, which is one of the key things that you see in that check that they do mm. that they're concerned about. I mean, then you have hosts going off and disappearing, and it's like, oh, he's in the mountains. Well, they have GPS. That's how you know that. So you can track their location back. You have recordings of that. They yeah. never do that kind of thing. So no. there's a lot of moments where I think I find that all very convenient. Well, the, the other thing is, I find, you know, they're all well-equipped with guns and everything, whenever they need to be, when they're out and about. Like, your security guy, you know, is, is pretty tooled up when he needs to be and he's very competent but the other thing we find out is you, you, with a voice command you know freeze motor functions fine and if that doesn't work they can literally freeze everybody in a scene from the control mm-hmm. when they need to 
yet there are other times when they're not. And because the other thing that I was, I was accident. The other thing I was curious about: accidents happen. Yeah, as in natural accidents. You know, rocks fall, things fall yeah. over. You know, and, and these robots have got motor functions and this other stuff. This is fine, right? But the thing you learn about this park is that not only have you got the town, which is the, the hub of everything, they say as you go out further out, it becomes more extreme and you find things as you go. So you get, you know, you've got the Eskatan, the, 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 uh, the outlaw. Then you find out there's, there's this other sort of like uh, Mexican town that's got stuff going on. And then you find there's a camp of soldiers and all this other stuff. Then there's a flipping railroad that takes you through savage, uh, in, you know, Native American territory. All this stuff's going on, yeah? Yeah. The thing I was curious about, again, because, you know, you were saying about efficiency, do they have all these guys on pause until somebody turns up? Or are these things just going through a loop for days on end? Like, you could be mm -hmm. months and nobody finds that army camp. And I'd be like, well, we're just wasting time with having those going round and round in their loops. Why don't we just pause them until we know a guest is going to mm -hmm get there and activate them several hours beforehand or something. Yeah, I had the same, I had a version of the same thought where like it's justified by, there's, a, there's somebody who says like it, it helps them train dialogue, right? Mm. Like it helps them improv uh, to go through this. But it's like, you've got like, I mean, it's, it's hundreds, right? I, I don't think it's thousands, but you've got hundreds of hosts. Well, one of the things you pointed out is the ridiculousness of how big this park is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, this is like, imagine if Disneyland were the lower half of Florida, you know? Yeah. It's just like absurd. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's hundreds of these hosts and they're clearly having interactions away from guests. Now, you could justify if you said, look, there's one guest out there, keep running them. But... Their computers, I mean, you could have them run through these conversations in simulation. In fact, that'd be way more efficient mm. than, yeah, I saw, I, I had the same, I had the same question about that. It just seemed really inefficient. And I think the thing I thought about axes, they, they come across like a mine and then they come across the soldiers. I'm like, well, what if there's no, there's no guests there, but say there's a rock slide. You know, because it's mountainous areas, or something happens, or one of them just has a miss, you know, misfooting. We do it as humans, I'm sure robots do it, and falls down. And I'm like, do they then send somebody out to go fix that? Does that affect a narrative? You know, how would this, how would the other uh, hosts interact with this thing that's happened? Yes, it'd be improvisation, but they try and fix it. I mean, at one point they come across, and I don't think this is explained. The man in black and uh, Teddy come across across an army camp. Mm -hmm. And this is where Teddy is, is is recognized for something else that he did before. And they say about Wyatt doing something. And you see a bunch of guys that have been sort of dismembered. Like a guy's had his arm, his hands chopped off, and another guy's had some other stuff done to him. And they're like, oh, this, that must be Wyatt's doing. And they're bleeding fresh blood. And I'm like, well, that, we, we find out that that wasn't Wyatt because of who Wyatt is. Um, but what how what, what the hell happened to those? Yeah, the whole Wyatt thing doesn't make any sense. That, I mean that falls apart towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, but also like they all seem to like remember Wyatt, right? Now yeah. Wyatt is Dolores from yeah. 35 years ago, right? But she but, become so, this mythical figure. 
Right. So there are really two Wyatts, right? There's mm. Dolores, who probably Arnold didn't say, ah, you know what? You're named Wyatt now for the sake of this narrative murder of me. Well, yeah, he never says it. It just turns no. up as a, it's a file name that he downloads to her. That's all. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's a good point, right? So, so that's the origin of the name. But then subsequent to that, as part of Ford's like master final mm. narrative, he has made them remember at least dimly if they can't imagine the person but they remember interacting with uh wyatt clearly marsden marsden's character tom uh what's teddy. his name uh, teddy remember because he's a teddy bear remembers yeah. uh uh wyatt and being yeah. in the war with wyatt and then Wyatt went crazy so there's this like phantom wyatt that only exists in fake memories and presumably as part of that, Ford has, you know, had some tech come in or had somebody else come in and dismember those guys. But again, you have to imagine so much that is not shown that it's like, oh, yeah, Ford just did it. Oh, yeah, Ford oh, just yeah. did it. That's the answer to 90% of stuff. The whole, the whole Wyatt thing. No, I agree. Because the whole Wyatt thing, not only does it fall apart, it sort of goes away as well. <clears throat> Because throughout the story, especially when you you know you are introduced to potential Wyatts um, at different sections. So at one point, Teddy and uh, the Man in Black are, are captured, and there's that woman you know who's been roughed up, and I don't know where she's supposed to be. And yet they are attacked by guys in like horned helmets, you know, mm. and they're all these cannibals. And you think, and they're like, oh, the, the, this must be this cult that they've talked about, this cannibalistic cult, and this is led by Wyatt. And you think, okay, so that's it. And then you later see that the um, the the guy who writes the the writer is is working on a character in in, in his office who's biting on a leg, and he says about how he likes to eat things because they're fresh. And he sort of changes that to moist or whatever. <clears throat> and the insinuation is, oh, and he says, well, then this is the grand villain. And you're like, oh, so that's Wyatt? Is that that's the insinuation there? And again, you're just like, well, no. You know what's he? And she, Tessa, Tessa Thompson says, "On oh, no, it's just busy work. You're being fobbed off to sh to shut you up." <clears throat> but this whole Wyatt thing really, not only does it not matter, like you say, it doesn't work. Um, yeah, but yeah. but I mean, part of the, part of the problem is that it doesn't work. But but they want to have their cake and eat it too because yes. the revelation that Dolores is Wyatt is one of the several revelations of the yes. final episode. And that's supposed to be a gut punch. And it, and it is for, you know, I think it works for her and for that narrative of like 35 years ago. But you then have everything of Wyatt in the present was all misdirection. This was mm -hmm. all just a series of uh, red herrings that took multiple episodes. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's pretty frustrating. So let's move because there's a couple of things I want to touch on before we sort of you know we've got a couple twenty minutes left. But um, Bernard, yeah, you talk about those reveals. I love Jeffrey Wright. Dude is awesome. The fact he's going to be the next new Commissioner Gordon is is really exciting. Side point, but um, he's really good in this, and I think you know he's another great actor and stuff. <clears throat> and this idea though, and you know that. He's great as Bernard. He's a little bit sort of grumpy and brumbling and all this other stuff, and he's fine as a character. To reveal that he's a host, or a, you know, is is one thing, but then to reveal that he is a literal like 
recreation of Arnold down to um, mannerisms and speech patterns and stuff made by made by uh, Ford. What what do you think about that? Because yeah, I mean, I think that you know, my objection is that there are too many revelations. The mm. show wants to be too clever. I think the revelation that Bernard is a host works brilliantly. Um, I think that whole thing of like what door and going down and yeah. did you look at these? You see it coming a mile away, but it still is just devastating, you know. Um, and then and then, you know, having him controlled and, and commit murder and struggle with the memories of his his dying son. Mm-hmm. Um all of that is done great. The fact that he's Arnold, you know, is really just there so that all of the scenes of Dolores talking to him, which you've already, you get two reveals about them. One yeah. is that they're actually 35 years ago. Another is that the person she's with is, is Arnold, not Bernard. And then you get to the present where you have one of those scenes and uh, Arnold disappears and she says, I'm talking to myself and she's at that point you're in the present and she's mm. hallucinating, but that's making the audience do extra footwork beyond yeah, that. Yeah. To me, the whole, like he's Arnold. I mean, there are too many reveals. I don't object to him being Arnold. I love that. He's a host, you mm. know, something like that's coming from the episode one. Right. But yes, but still, it is effective. It, I wish it were two episodes earlier. Rewatching it, I remember that is like halfway through, and that's like in seven or something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What it, were your thoughts? No, I, I love. I do. I, I like the way that scene plays out because it, it is obvious, and it's one of those things as a viewer where you're almost like, no, no, I don't want that, you know, because it's sort of because you've got to know the character, and, and you know, you you know about his child, his you know, his, the death of his son, and the the relationship he's had to, with Teresa. So when she, he goes down, he's like, "What door?" At first, you're like, "Oh, it's dark in there, so we may not have seen mm-hmm. it." So you're like, "Okay, well, I'll let that slide." And then they goes through, and she he, she holds up those papers, and what do you think of this? And he says, "Doesn't look like anything to me." And you're just like, "Oh no, oh my <laughs> god!" And it's because it's exactly the same wording, and the look yeah. on her face when he says it. Mm-hmm. It's just like she's you know she's obviously there with the viewer going like oh shit just got real, um, so that to me was all fascinating. I was like oh my god but the reveal for him to being Bernard, uh, sorry Bernard being uh, Arnold, it opened up a couple of things to me. F- firstly, like you find out that obviously you know Ford did it of his own accord and did it all through himself, and you know it shows how clever and, and brilliant he is at these things. Fine, I get that. It shows that he's obviously got some. Um, unresolved issues with his relationship with Arnold and what happened. And again, so I like that, that it shows that, you know, he's trying to deal, he's trying to deal with this stuff. And in fact that, you know, he's even got, I like the fact that then he's cause uh, Bernard says, can you remove, if I'm a host, then remove these memories of my son. And that, well, we can't because actually that's the cornerstone of your personality. Everything else hangs off this. And again, that's really tragic when you're like, no, no, that is li- that's literally the core of you. And like, how sad is that, that that's what you are built around? But more than that, I was thinking, I, I kept thinking about, in fact, I went and Googled Henry Ford when I was making, when I was watching this, because I thought, is the name Ford important? Like, is it, are they trying to say something about industrialists or something like that? And there's pictures of Henry Ford, right, from from back in the, the 1800s and the early 1900s. 
And I thought, well, nowadays I can go find a picture of Elon Musk like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, what's it, Jobs or any of those kinds of people like that. I can go and Google this. This is set in the future. Yeah. Are you telling me not one yeah. person that works at this place on the board or anywhere goes, that fucker looks a lot like Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? in fact, he looks just like him. It, well, there, there is the only thing I would say to defend that is it's clear that most people do not remember that Arnold was part of it. Like, it, you know, certain people know that, but I had the same thought. You're right. Now, I, I do think they try to cover that up a little like yeah. where they're like the early years of the park are veiled in secrecy kind of kind of references. But yes, absolutely. The other question I have is like, once you make Bernard, you're just like, not, now that was still relatively early, but there was still uh, an organization. You like, you mean to tell me that you uh, gave him all of Arnold's clearances. And <laughs> meanwhile, nobody's ever said to him like in a room, See where he's in a room inspecting a, another Android. Sees all motor functions. Bernard, why did you why did you stop moving? You yeah. know, <laughs> there's tons of moments where like you see they scan the androids. They you know they should. It does not really work. And you're absolutely right about the photo. I mean, it, it's mm. it's another. But this is again why I think like it's obsessed with the twist. Yes. Over you know over just a coherent intellectually engaging emotionally engaging narrative this is and this is the i, I refer to this as the Shyamalan problem right? mm-hmm. m night Shyamalan has this problem that when he made sixth sense he he invested that film with emotional resonance and it's well thought out he's clearly taken many many years to think about this narrative and how it works you can watch this back and all the clues are there but at no point do you go well, what you know, well, you can, you can probably rip that bit of film apart, but it works, yeah. Bruce Willis doesn't. This, these things don't happen. So you, you, you know, when the reveal happens, you can clock it back and go, oh, okay, yeah, that that works, and the logistics of it work. However, he gets so excited about being the director with the twist mm-hmm. that then he gets, you know, you get films like The Village, which is god awful. Uh, uh, that's my favorite Shyamalan film. I was just going to say. You know, like Lady in the Water, there's tons of stuff you can point to oh, where it's just obsessed with the twist. I yeah. think the village is, is genius. I think it's way better than I think that's an example where the twists work for me. But yeah, you do have to you do have to be like, yeah, they've never seen a plane, you know. Like, exactly. There's yeah. so there's things in that where you go because she sees a plane, doesn't she? And you go, Well, that's clearly a flight path then. So that would happen a lot. Um, yeah. and, you know, and I think there's other films that he's done, you know, with um, I, can't, I can't remember the others, but like that becomes the problem where yeah. the twist becomes the thing. Yes. And so when you get the twist, you're a bit like, huh, well, the twist is, is satisfying for all of 30 seconds until you go, wait a minute. And that sort of gets to where this season gets to at the end, where it's like you say, there's so much going on that you just go, wait a minute. I, you know, I'm not buying that. That's it. You know, I'd have given you, I'm, I'm, I'm allowed, I'm going to give you this, but now you're pushing me to this. You know, I'd have given you 40% nonsense, but you, you're really pushing for 60% nonsense. And that last 20% is going to push me over the edge. Um, So, yeah. And that, I think this, this whole, this Bernard thing being Arnold is the, is the one that really yeah. sort of, for me, you know, 
Um, the Wyatt thing is one, and then the Bernard thing, Bernard really pushed me over the edge, where the last couple of episodes, I'm like, mm, I'm, I'm struggling with this now, where, you know, it doesn't quite, it doesn't, that part doesn't quite hang together for me. Um, no, I think you're right. And I, and I think that, you know, we've gone through, you know, several of the twists and, and, and I think that so, like, you know, him, uh, Bernard being, uh, I almost said a replicant because, you know, it is very Blade Runner. Um, and in some ways, you know, clearly more Blade Runner than, than the original Westworld. Mm. Um, but that is a twist that works great. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that Dolores is Wyatt works great for the f- early, early pre-flashback narrative. It does not make sense in the present day narrative. Mm. Um, but I'm with you that, you know, sort of the f- seeing this the first time and incidental episodes here and there, I thought that this was all sort of uh, Lisa Joy and, and, and Jonathan Nolan sort of trying to make that puzzle box Chris Nolan thing and being too obsessed with not, I mean, because I think Shyamalan is sort of famous for the mm. twist being horrible at this point, but trying to do the, the Jonathan, Nolan, I mean, the Chris Nolan thing um, and kind of being too in love with being the clever writers, you know? Yes. Um, but watching it again, I have another theory, which is that that's true. But that part of the problem here is that it seems like the way this was produced, and I have no evidence for this, but the way this was produced was um, in a lot more stereotypical, like a showrunner who you know writes the first and last episodes, mm. but then you have other writers who come in and you tweak their scripts, but you have story beats that they're supposed to hit. Mm. And... That's, you know, so to me, the Maeve being activated and turned on or whatever, that could well have been an improvisation by that specific episode. Mm. Um, And that there's not enough central control. Mm. Um, So it's kind of like, well, you know, and I know they can all justify it by, oh, it doesn't matter. Ford's in charge. It's all the master plan. But there are a lot of elements like that where I think. Some some of the best moments are flourishes. There's a there's an episode that's co-written by Ed Brubaker of Comics mm-hmm, Fame, mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorite episodes uh, where Maeve remembers that she's been shot, and mm. she has Eschaton, you know, which she tries to get him to, and then she ultimately stabs her own belly, and he pulls out the uh, bullet. The bullet that's mm. crumpled. I mean, that is just devastating. Where you're looking at that, and you're like. Reality. This is not reality. Yeah, this isn't real. We've done this before, and and the the hooded guys underneath the floorboards, like that is some killer stuff. Mm. And you know that was not in like the story mm. beats to hit, right? Mm. That was the episode writers hitting that and and doing awesome stuff. But but I do think that there are along the way these elements that. It's not as tight and coherent as it could have been because mm-hmm. they're using more of that structure. That's my theory right now. I agree. No, I'd actually agree. And I think this would have been better if it was treated as a novel with a single production crew from episode one through to episode 10. And if anything, you'd have probably had less episodes and you'd have been tighter. Mm-hmm. If anything, one of the things I'm, I'm seeing now 
um, and I'm going to use a weird sort of comparison, <clears throat> is um, some of the stuff that's being done on like Disney Plus. Because Disney Plus now, with say The Mandalorian and say let's use WandaVision as, as examples, because it's run and done by uh, thinking you've got a very tight control and they're mm. doing certain things, like an episode could be 36 minutes long or it could be 50 minute long or it could be 25 minutes long. Like they're like, here's the story we want to tell in this episode. And, you know, we're going to do it if it, it takes up this amount of time. And if, you know, it takes 30 minutes, it takes 30 minutes. If it takes 40 minutes, it takes 40 minutes. Because this was made for television and is obviously, you know, for a period, they're like, you've got 10 episodes and they're going to be an hour long. Mm-hmm. Go. And so you do get that feel as with this, with all, with many, many of these shows where it's like, okay, well, we feel, here's the story I want to tell. It fits 40 minutes. But. Oh, and yeah. so I do feel that, that there's, there's occasions when that may have happened where you get episodes where they've gone maybe things like that oh, I need a match in half an hour where they've gone alright we need to pad this out a little bit let's try and add some stuff in here um, it, it may yeah. be the case and well, unfortunately those things then have an impact where they go well you added that in as padding in episode 4 hmm. So now we've got to go back and revisit that in episode six and it's going to lead to this. So there's potential for those sorts of things, natural evolutions, I think, that may have taken place. Yeah, and I think that the truth is that a lot of times when we look at movies and TV, the the, the answers are like, well, you know, we're like, oh, that that's a dumb prop. You know, that looks horrible. It's like, yeah, well, we had to come up with that in five mm-hmm. hours because this guy, there's a physical production not to be mm-hmm. a marxist but you know there's physical explanations for this stuff yeah, yeah hbo did it this way we had to produce these 10 episodes we made these decisions none of these were bad decisions you like the results you know come on guys it's a side effect of of how it was produced yeah. um no i agree with that um i, I do think it'd be better if it were tighter uh, I agree. I think this this could do to be a few episodes shorter, and you could probably pull in quite a few bits. We've got a few minutes left, so you know uh, there was something I want to visit. And I think we're going to visit it in the next one, which is the the fear of the singularity uh, and how we're getting closer uh, to this no and this notion of artificial intelligence beating us at things, um, which I'm pretty sure is going to come out in season two. So we'll, we'll, we can revisit that in the next episode. I do want to briefly say uh, another one of my gripes, you know, I know I've like, I kept, keep hitting on these gripes is uh, you mentioned with like the rock slides. It is clear. Like, I don't know how to like, you're told that the host can't hurt anyone mm-hmm. yet. They're clearly shown punching the man in black and <laughs> punching William. And it's like, yeah. Okay. So those guns don't work. On, you know, they bounce off of, of the man in black, but clearly they're beating up, you know, like I thought they couldn't hurt people, yeah. but then they are. And, you know, people are going to get bones broken. Now, maybe that's part of the fun of the park. You can rationalize, but somebody's going to die uh, in an accident like this. And also, I think that's one reason why they don't show the other parks uh, is because when you if you've got a gunslinger park, it's easy to just go. Those guns are programmed yeah. to, to fire bullets that I guess bounce out, you know, are made of, you know, I mean, I don't even know. It, 
what's stupid is that that is as dumb as the original Westworld. It's something you can't get away. You can't get away from that because there's several knife fights in this. There's Mm -hmm. punch ups. There's people being thrown downstairs. At some point, something happens, and someone you must be signing waivers that says basically anything that you if you get hurt by anything in this. You know, you are good. That's the point of the park. I mean, the man in black is literally going to make it more like he, the point that he goes like, well, I can't be hurt, but I want to be that the, the risk, the fear is what really drives me. I'm like, all right, wait till someone tries to knife you. That's, you know, that's yeah. what you want to happen. And I, I still think there must be occasions because they look so real where two guests must have knifed each other. Yes, exactly. I was thinking then the gone, same thing. Then, you have a knife gone, fight. Oh, oh shit, this has gone wrong. <laughs> Somebody throws a knife in a bar brawl, you know. Glasses someone, you know. I've seen people being glassed. Like, it it can do some damage. Yes. So, anyway, time is coming to an end. So, there are definitely things we will try and come back to um, with with this second season. So, in the next episode, we will be hitting on the second series of Westworld. But, uh, Julian, any final thoughts then, you know, on on season, uh, season one of Westworld? I just want to say I love this show. Mm-hmm. I have done, I feel like I've done nothing but 75% complain. Uh, but it's because I love this show so much. And I, I think that first episode is an A slash A plus, And the whole season, despite all of its flaws, all of the things that will drive you crazy, is a solid A minus. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this is still a fantastic show. You will want to watch the second season. You will want to continue. Uh, I love the show. What about you? No, again, I agree. I mean, you know, it's it's a really solid season of television. Like, you know, this this is you you called it sort of like you know prestige TV making. Like, yeah, this stands up and it stands the test of time. It's only four years old, but <clears throat> it's good. It's good TV. Um, you know, the cast is great. The acting and the standard of acting in this is movie quality. The cinematography in this as well. Um, they do not, you know. Uh, at any point that you know do they ever they don't misuse the landscape they really utilize some of the landscapes they've got in this and it looks beautiful it looks fantastic so <clears throat> that you know there's several shots that they've gone like well we're doing um you know a western so let's sort of use that in fact i've just thought about ford this is could it be a reference to uh, ford, you know what's it for the the western director um mm-hmm. so <clears throat> that's another thing but yeah i, I really enjoyed this show there are things as i went along and I'm, as i'm watching it for this person you know I'm like mm, that that wrangles me a little bit but but other than that like no it's solid tv it's entertaining like you know th- th- there's few tv shows where i get to the end of a season and i'm like Do you know what I'll pro- i could come back to this in a few years and watch this all over again uh, and this is definitely one of them. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to season two. Season two, I watched intermittently um, when it when it came out. And uh, so I remember bits and pieces of it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what, the, what, what season two has to offer. Um, so, yeah, so there we go. So that's, that's us, our analysis of season one of Westworld. So I hope you've enjoyed it, guys. I hope you really enjoyed it. And I hope that, uh, you know, if you've got any theories or you've got any gripes or, or actually you want to gripe about our gripes you mm-hmm. want to come you want to come at us and you want to explain that's more likely <laughs> yeah. if you want to come to come at us and you want to explain anthony hopkins plan to us go ahead <laughs> i would like to see that document uh but thank you very much for listening uh, if you want to come find us we are online at uh, pod time space on twitter uh, so come and find us and um, Julian as always it's been an absolute pleasure to do this and uh, we'll be Your back tips. we'll be back to take on the robot revolution in season 2 <laughs>